You guys can have a seat. I have to give it a couple of while for letting a scientist come up and talk in church. That didn't happen a long time ago, you know. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about water. We have baptisms today. Congratulations to all of you. Um, so water is... One of the, let me hide this Clemson thing for you Georgia people, sorry. <laughs> Water is one of the most ubiquitous things on Earth. 70% of the planet is covered with water, most of it in the oceans. 60% uh, of our bodies are water, so it's literally everywhere. But on the other top, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere, we take it for granted, but it is somewhat miraculous. It does not behave like chemicals should behave. Because of its nature being a universal solvent, it can get along with almost anything on the planet, except for oil. Oil and water don't mix, right? I should have probably had my daughter do this for me. Now, I would not be a real scientist if I didn't do some demo for you, so I apologize. So some of you high school se uh, seniors and juniors, what is the formula for water? H2O, right. So oxygen has how many electrons? Come on, I know you 10th graders know this. Emma, come on. Eight, correct. So you have two in the inner shell. Six on the outer shell. How about hydrogen? One, correct. Actually, I'm gonna turn this guy into one. So, looks like a little Mickey Mouse now. 
These guys like to share, right? But you have four other pairs just kind of hanging around doing their own thing. This right here is what makes water so weird. It doesn't behave like anything else in the, in the chemical world because it has a positive and a negative net charge. So it gets along with almost everything, like I said, except for oil. So we can learn a little bit, I think, from this experiment. So you see where the oil and the water are. They get along a little bit. They'll spend a little bit of time with each other, but they will invariably separate out. It's not that they don't like each other. They just would rather hang out with each other. So in the science world, we have this fun thing called surfactants. The oil is hydrophobic. It doesn't like to be with water. The water is hydrophilic. It likes to hang out with itself. This fun little thing likes both. So the addition of just that little bit makes everybody get along. So the lesson here that I would like to share is it's okay being water, it's okay being oil, but sometimes it's fun to be the surfactant because you can reach out to both and bring people together. So that's it. Good job. Thank you for being here this morning. And she has a Clemson bag. That's pretty cool. I'm a graduate of the University of Georgia, so this morning we're having a time of mourning. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Now, this morning uh, we are kicking off a, a series entitled Mythbusters, uh, named after the popular TV show. The, the show investigates various myths and urban legends, and they do experiments to test the, the, I guess, really the validity of all these different myths. Now, during our Mythbuster series, we're going to look at some popular misconceptions or misperceptions about the Christian faith. There are Bible passages that we often misunderstand. Uh, there are issues on which we misunderstand. And so this morning is a special Sunday morning because we are going to conclude with two baptisms. She talked a lot about water, and water is a powerful thing when we talk about baptism. Baptism represents the cleansing power of God, and it represents God's grace. Now, at Chapel Roswell, uh, we are a place of community, a place of connection, connection with God, and then connection with one another. We have several small groups going on. I invite you to check out our website for more information. These are great ways to, to grow in your faith while also getting to know other people. And starting this Thursday, we're going to kick off a six-week Bible study. We're going to meet on Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 8. I'm going to be leading that group. It's going to be an awesome opportunity just to get to know each other, to spend time with one another as we dig into God's Word. But first, I want to look at an issue that is really prevalent on the minds of a whole lot of people, okay? People are trying to respond to this. Dihyd dihydrogen monoxide, okay? Dihydrogen monoxide is colorless, it's odorless, it's a chemical compound that can literally be deadly. Let me share a little bit about this. Dihydrogen monoxide can cause severe burns. 
Dihydrogen monoxide has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. Dihydrogen monoxide is used as an industrial solvent and cooler. Dihydrogen monoxide is used in nuclear power plants. Dihydrogen monoxide is used in the production of a lot of things, including styrofoam. Dihydrogen monoxide is used in a lot of pesticides. Dihydrogen monoxide is used by athletes to enhance their performance. Dihydrogen monoxide is fatal if it's inhaled, even in really, really small quantities. Dihydrogen monoxide can be dangerous, even deadly. A lot of people want to outlaw dihydrogen monoxide, according to a recent study. But there's one thing that we have to realize. You see, what exactly is dihydrogen monoxide? It's water. Think about it. Water is H2O. Di means two, so dihydrogen, two hydrogen. Monoxide implies really a compound containing one oxygen. So dihydrogen monoxide is simply this, it's water. Uh, but all of the above statements that I read, those are certainly true. There was a recent scientific study that asked people, would you want to outlaw, would you want to ban dihydrogen monoxide? 90% of Americans said, yeah, let's ban it. That seems dangerous. Many years ago, there was an Atlanta radio host who used the above-mentioned quantities to, uh, to, to really play a hoax on people in the Atlanta government. He, and he really talked to the Atlanta mayor and said that the city's water supply had thousands of tons of dihydrogen monoxide in it. People in the, the, the city government, they started to panic about this. The, the radio host informed the mayor of the dangers of dihydrogen monoxide. Word got out. Tons of citizens, they were angered because of the presence of dihydrogen monoxide in their water. A local TV station, they heard about this, so they jumped on the bandwagon. People were outraged by this. They were alarmed. The Atlanta Water Department was put on the spot. A city spokesperson assured the public that the Atlanta Water Works allowed no more dihydrogen monoxide than is allowed by law. Uh, there was a city in Northern California that considered banning dihydrogen monoxide because it was dangerous, it was deadly. Another city said, wow, dihydrogen monoxide is used in the, uh, the, the manufacturing of styrofoam, therefore it's got to be bad, so let's ban it. Like I said, a, re a recent study, a recent poll said 90% of Americans said we don't want this. Researchers uh, kind of use the above-mentioned methods to show that we're often ignorant or illiterate when it comes to scientific kind of stuff. So it's interesting how often we misunderstand things because we really don't know the whole story. We can be gullible at times. There are times also when we don't really understand exactly what's going on. And I think that's true in many cases for the Christian faith. I think the same can be said about Scripture. There are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of misperceptions, some by our culture and even some by the church. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at some of these myths or some of these misperceptions or misconceptions. For example, how, how do we understand faith versus science? Are, are, are they able to coexist? I think they are, but we'll look at some of those over the next few weeks. Now, uh, my name is Joe McKechnie. McKechnie is a strong Scottish name. How many of you have ever heard of somebody aside from me with the last name McKechnie? Hey, look around, church. That's, that's pretty rare. Now, my wife, Catherine, she was baptized as a baby. It was August 10th, 1975 at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church 
in Beaumont, Texas. The minister's name, David McKechnie. We're not related to him at all. Kind of interesting that, that Catherine would go on to, to marry a, a really cool guy named McKechnie. That's not funny. And our son's name is David McKechnie. How cool is that? Even when Catherine was nothing but a helpless little baby, the Lord was already at work in her life. The Lord already knew that that little girl was going to grow up and her dreams and her aspirations and what her life was going to be like before Catherine was old enough to understand what it means to make the decision to follow Christ. God's grace was already wooing her into that time and place when she could say yes on her own. So, uh, there are a lot of differences when it comes to baptism, a lot of differing opinions. I think all of them are right because we're simply taking a look at a different aspect of baptism. Uh, for some churches, maybe you grew up in a church where baptism was something that you took part in after you said yes to Jesus, I'm going to be a follower of Christ. Uh, the baptism is an outward sign of your newfound inward faith. Now, on the flip side of that, at Chapel Roswell, in United Methodist Church, and a lot of other Christian denominations, we emphasize not our decision to say yes to Christ, but rather God's grace leading us into a place where we can say yes to Christ. Obviously, after all, we baptize infants, and a, a baby isn't old enough to, to know what we're talking about. The baby doesn't yet understand concepts of God. Uh, the baby hasn't yet said yes to God, but even in the midst of that, God has still said yes to that baby. We're acknowledging the fact that God's, that really our decision to say yes to Christ wouldn't even be possible if God didn't present the opportunity, if God didn't extend that invitation to accept His grace. After all, it's God, we say, who initial, uh, I guess, initiates really the, the first step in the salvation process. God gives us the opportunity, the invitation to say yes. Even before we choose God, God has chosen us, and God claims us even before we're able to respond. Maybe some of you remember your baptism. I remember mine. I remember I didn't want to be at church. I didn't want to be there. All my family was, was there, and I, I kicked, and I screamed, and I cried, and I fussed as the, the minister tried to hold me. I was 26 years old at the time, uh, so it was a little bit awkward now. Actually, I, I was nine months old. Didn't know what was going on, obviously. Don't remember it. But even before I understand God, even before I understood the Lord in this case, God was already at work in my life. Uh, what does Scripture say about this? This is a great litmus test. Even late in the uh, first century, infant baptism had become a, a relatively commonplace thing. And in Scripture, there are a lot of examples of, of children being baptized in Acts 16, 13, 14, and 15, there was a young woman named Lydia. She was a mother. She heard the message of God's hope and of God's grace, and it said that she said yes to Christ. Uh, people went to her house, and they baptized her entire family, including some small children. Later in that same chapter of the book of Acts, there's a jailer okay, a guard at a prison, and he says yes to God. Uh, the members of his household, the Scripture says, including young children, were baptized. Uh, you see, friends, even before we care for God, the Scripture says that God cares for us. All of us come before God as no more than helpless infants, regardless of our age, unable to save ourselves. We're fully dependent upon the grace of our loving God. 
You see, baptism represents God approaching the helpless, offering the opportunity, the invitation for new life. Now, uh, with this said, I, I want to dig into a passage from the New Testament. We're going to go to the book of Romans, chapter 6. There are a lot of different translations of the Bible. This morning, I'm going to use the translation known as the message. It's a modern-day translation. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Christians in uh, the big city of Rome, and this is what he said. This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Heavenly Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. That's pretty powerful stuff. He's packing in a lot of deep theology there. What exactly does he mean? Well, Paul's asking them to remember their baptism. Uh, uh, like I said, pretty deep theology here. He's stating that baptism uh, focuses on, first, uh, the death of Christ, its meaning and its outcome, that Jesus was buried, he was dead. And through baptism, believers identify, we identify, you and I identify with the death of Jesus. We go into the water representing death and burial. We emerge out of the water symbolizing the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus as well as the spiritual resurrection of you and of me. We emerge out of the water, representing a new creation in God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He's telling us that the life of a fallen sinner living in a fallen, hurting world is no more. He's, he's buried. He or she has been buried, but, the Scripture says, God brings out new creation. God provides new life. The, the, the pre-Christ Joe has died, and, and he's no more. Baptism symbolizes that. But the new believing in Jesus, Joe, is a now a new creation. Uh, the past has been washed away by the grace and the mercy of God. As one goes into the water, we remember the death of Jesus, the death of our old sinful nature. And as we rise out of the water, we remember the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that is offered by God. Now, as a pastor for the past 15 or 16 years, I have been blessed to be a part of a lot of baptisms. I was in Israel several years ago, and I was able to baptize several people in the Jordan River over there. That's where Jesus was baptized. I've baptized infants and children and men and women, people of all ages and all stages of life. I've baptized people in the church. I've baptized people in lakes. I've baptized people in swimming pools. Now, here at Chapel Roswell, we don't have a, a baptismal pool per se, but I have done baptisms even down the street at the Baptist Church for people who would like to be immersed in the water and then raised up. Uh, you see, it's not about the quantity of water, okay? It's not about that at all. That's, I think, a myth. But rather, it's about God's grace 
that's at work in your life and God's grace at work in my life. Uh, the Greek word for baptism is baptizo. It was a common word. It wasn't at all a religious word. Rather, if you were to take a garment, a piece of clothing, and you wanted to make it a particular color, you would dip it into that dye. The Greek word baptizo literally means to dip. You would baptizo that garment into the dye. Now, uh, John the Baptist, he baptized people in the Jordan River, and he was setting the stage for the public ministry of Jesus. Matthew 3.11 tells us about this situation. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, says John the Baptist, comes one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, this one who is to come, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist, he wasn't the first person to baptize. Christians weren't the first people to baptize. And in ancient Babylon, for example, pagan priests would immerse people into lakes and rivers because they believed that that water had certain cleansing powers. In Judaism, water was used also to represent cleansing. In the third chapter of the book of Matthew, we read about the baptism of Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. A voice from heaven said, this is my son. This is God saying this. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So baptism, it represents the the, the washing away of sins and the offer of new life in Christ. But, but why then was Jesus baptized? He, after all, was sinless. Well, Jesus started his public ministry by being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. When Jesus came to John to be baptized, John reiterated the same question that I posed a, a few seconds ago. Why should I, John said, baptize you. I'm a sinful man, Jesus. You are a sinless man. But Jesus replied that it should be done because, he says, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus there was identifying himself with sinners. Uh, he ultimately bore the, the sin that, that we made, the, the sin in which we lived. His baptism was a, a visual precursor, if you will, of his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection. In the river, he went down, representing death. He arose out of the water, representing new life, representing resurrection. You see, for, for, for Jesus, baptism was an outward sign of God working in his life, giving him direction, initiating his purpose. The same God, the same Holy Spirit that, that was at work in Jesus' life is at work in your life and my life here and now. Now, one thing I think is kind of interesting about this passage, notice the timing. This started before Jesus was in his public ministry, before he started teaching and preaching and performing miracles. But he goes into the water, he's baptized, again, before his ministry started, but God declares, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Again, the timing of that I find is, is fascinating because we generally in our culture, we congratulate people when they do something well. 
But here God says, I am well pleased with Jesus even before the start of his public ministry. That, that goes against the grain of our culture. God essentially is saying, I love you before Jesus started his ministry. And likewise, even to infants, God is saying, I love you. That's the nature of God's grace, and that's what we focus on in baptism. Even before we, quote, do something for God, God says, I have chosen you, I love you, I claim you, and I will offer you the gift of salvation. You see, through God's grace, our salvation, our, our new life, our eternal life, it's not based on what we do, rather it's a gift from God. And so, as with any gift, we have the opportunity to receive it or to deny it. But it's God who gives us the invitation to accept or to deny. So, as we wrap up this morning, we're going to baptize two infants, a special time in the lives of these families and of these young people, and, and honestly, for our church. During our closing song, in a, a matter of minutes, we're going to invite you to, to come at, as you feel led to, uh, to dip your hands in this water as a way to either remember your baptism. Some of you may do that. Some of you may remember it. For me, like I said, I was nine months old. I don't remember anything about it. If you haven't been baptized or you don't remember your baptism, that's okay. Still, come on up. Just dip your hands in the water. It's a way to symbolically say yes to that grace that God is offering. If you haven't been baptized and you'd like to be, then, then contact me. We can do it on a Sunday morning sometime. It's such a great thing in the lives of believers. It's a great thing in the lives of infants because we're celebrating the fact that even before they say yes to God, God is saying, I love you, I want you. So friends, God's grace is at work in your life. That's what we celebrate. That's what we honor this morning that God is wooing us into a deeper connection, a deeper walk, a deeper relationship with Jesus. He, he extends that invitation, one that affects all eternity. He offers the invitation. How, how are you going to respond? Let's pray. Well, good morning, loving God. We thank you for surrounding us with your grace for calling us, for accepting us, for cleansing us, for transforming us, for offering us the gift of salvation, the gift of freedom, the gift of eternal life. Father God, may we live as people who have been set free. May our lives be filled with joy. It's not a happiness that's based on our situation or circumstance, but a pure joy that comes from knowing that you are always with us. May we acknowledge the work that you have done and are continuing to do in us. Lord, seal it in, protecting changes in us that maybe the outside world won't understand. May we remember our baptism. May our lives reflect the change that came about because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the one who saves, Jesus Christ, uh, your son, the one who died for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning as we wrap up our time together, we have two baptisms. We invite the Tate family and the Ricks family to come forward. I also invite the Reverend Melissa Mobley to lead us in the Holy Communion litur or Holy Baptism liturgy this morning. These two infants will experience holy baptism, representing, again, that activity that God is doing in their lives.
sacrament of holy baptism that we are in Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty act of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without Christ. All right. We're going to ask the parents a series of questions. It's kind of like uh, on your wedding day. You know what the answer is going to be. I hope the answer is I do. Okay, so three questions for you this morning. Parents, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sins? I do. Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives each of us to resist evil injustice and oppression in whatever forms in which they present themselves. Good job. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Jesus as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? And finally, the last question, a little bit different of an answer. The answer for this is, I will. Will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, your son may be guided to accept God's grace for himself to profess his faith openly and to lead a Christian life? Yep. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and you brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. And after the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. And when you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the seas. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. And in the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured by the water of the womb, he was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all the nations. So we ask you, Lord, to pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Amen. This is Ari Jackson Tate. Say, hey, Ari. You know what we're going to do? Oh. Huh. Ari Jackson Tate, I baptize you in the name of God and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit work in with you that being baptized through water and the Spirit, you may grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. has in his life verse Joshua 1 9 and you'll see it right up here on the screen say hey 
not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that is going to be our prayer and family's prayer for Ari as he grows in his love of God and his love of Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Lord God, we offer to you your child Ari. We know that you are already at work with him, and that you love him, and that you call him by name. Let him grow in your grace. Let him be courageous and come to know you as his own Savior. Amen. Yeah, these are the people that are going to tell you the stories of Jesus, and they're going to tell you how much God loves you, and they're going to tell you sometimes maybe to be a little quiet in a pew. That's okay. And sometimes they're going to tell you to do crazy things like sing and Yeah, okay. They love you. So brothers and sisters, congregation of the household of faith, I give to you Ari Jackson Tate. life in college. I, I don't think that's about. Can I hold you, buddy? No. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Mom, why don't you come up here? We will do this together. When I do a baptism, I ask the parents to come up with a life verse. That's a scripture verse that we use to pray over the child. And they chose Colossians 2.7. This is what it says. Let your roots grow down into Christ and draw up nourishment from him so that you will grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. When I do a baptism, I like to use a shell. A shell is one of the earliest symbols for baptism. We think of the Jordan River as this big, huge, flowing river, but in small parts, it was really nothing more than a trickle of water. And so uh, the priest or whoever is doing the baptism would scoop out the water uh, from the, the river with the shell and then pour it over the child's head. I'll give this to the family and it can serve as a visible and a tangible reminder of their baptism, of the work of God's grace. Can I hold you? Would that be okay? It'll just take a second, I promise. Well, Graham McCall Ricks, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Graham, this is your church family. They're going to love you, and they're going to walk alongside you. They're going to serve as an example of what it means to live a life in Christ. And we pray over you this morning that you can sense the grace of God calling you one day for you to say yes to a relationship with him. 
And so as we introduce Graham to, to you guys, his church family, we have a response that, that we want you to boldly declare this morning as well. You can see that up on the screen. Read this with me. Let's declare this over the life of young Graham. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround Graham with a community of love and forgiveness that he may grow in his service to others. We will pray for him that he may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. Friends, will you pray with me? Dear loving God, we thank you for the gift of baptism and we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray for Graham this morning that as he grows in years, he may grow in his understanding of your love. We pray that he can respond to your mercy and grace to choose to live his life for you. May our church family surround these two children with the example of your love and forgiveness. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon all that they do, and may your peace and hope and joy be poured upon their household, upon their childhoods, upon their families, and upon their memories as you continue to make your presence evident in their lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good job, buddy. You're safe in your mother's arms, and we are safe in our heavenly Father's arms. As they head back to their seats, we're going to invite you to stand as we wrap up with our closing song this morning. The song is called Do It Again. As we sing this together, friends, may we boldly proclaim the fact that God has worked in our lives and God continues it. God is going to do it again. And as we're singing this song, I invite you to come up to, uh, to just dip your hands in the water. May it symbolize your baptism. If you've never been baptized before, let it symbolize to you the loving grace of a loving God. Um, if you're like me and your baptism was a long time ago and you don't remember it, that's okay too. We invite you to come up and let it represent God's grace. So let's sing, let's do it again as we celebrate the continued work of our Heavenly Father.